Everybody's going for those kinky boots, kinky boots. Kinky boots, it's a manly kind of fashion that you borrowed from the brutes. Borrowed from the brutes. Kinky boots. Hello everyone and a warm welcome to another edition of Kinky Boots. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And this week we are watching Series 1, Episode 15 of The Avengers, The Frighteners. This was written by Barclay Mather and was recorded on the 25th of May 1961 to be transmitted on the 27th of May 1961 at 10pm. This was in the ABC Midlands, North Anglia, ATV, Southern, Tyne Tees, TV Western Wales, Ulster and Westwood regions. The full episode exists for this one. It's one of only three and a bit that exists from season one. There are no publicity stills. There are 82 telesnaps. And there's no script, although this was transcribed and used by Big Finish for the audio version of this, which can be found on Volume 6 of the Lost Stories range. Uh, Minutiae-wise, we have Leonard White, who was the producer. He was in hospital. So for a week or so, Sidney Newman stood in as producer, and this was one of his episodes. And beyond that, I've not got a lot. Dr. Axton, this is where you usually come in with a precy. And again, this is from The Ultimate Avengers by Dave Rogers. And it says, The Frighteners by Barclay Mather. Um, While trying to put the Frighteners on Jeremy de Willoughby, it is the bad guys who gets their noses bloodied when Steed and Dr. Keel intervene and ensure that Deacon, the, the gang leader, has arranged his final thuggery. It seems that Weller has failed to prevent de Willoughby from marrying his rich daughter Marilyn, but a neat piece of deception arranged by Steed ensures that de Willoughby is exposed as a professional marrier. Another case is closed by the Avengers. I want it done tonight. He gets home at about 10. 10.30. While he's still in a receptive mood, whisper to him, lay off that girl. You got that? Lay off that girl. And remember, give him the real frankness, Moxon. The real frightness. If the patient doesn't respond to treatment, the client is going to give me an extra fee to make it permanent. I'll be retaining you again in that case. You won't, you know. I'll stop short of that. We'll see. 5,000 pounds would be very hard to refuse from a determined gentleman like our client. See that the opportunity isn't offered to me, Moxon. Do a good job on the patient the first time. A good job. A real, genuine, classical massage. Dr. Exton, do you have any alumni for us? The only who alumnus I can find is Philip Locke, who played Bygone in Forty Doomsday, but was also Vashrevsky in The Omega Factor um, and was Arnold of Toady in The Box of Delights. He turned up in Department S, The Champions, and one further episode of The Avengers, and he plays Vargas in Thunderball. Um, <coughs> the only Who alumni, really? Mm. Stratford who? Johns, who appeared in the same Doctor Who story. He was monarch in Form to Doomsday with Philip Locke. Oh, under a fuck ton of makeup and yeah, yes, he was a giant frog. Yeah, well, we'll ignore that because it, it's a fairly shite story. Um, <laughs> Philip Gilbert was Tim and Timus in the Tomorrow People. Willoughby Goddard 
was in the BBC Sunday Night Theatre adaptation of Hero's Walk from 1955, which was retitled The Voices. He will appear again in another episode of The Avengers. He was in the mind of Mr. J.G. Reader as Reader's boss, Man in Room 17 as their boss. He will turn up in Space 1999, Ace of Wands, the Out of the Unknown episode, The Dead Past, and he appeared in The Invisible Man, produced in the 1950s. And finally, Doris Hare, who played Gin Woman herself right at the end, was the original Martha Longhurst in the dry run of Coronation Street. Florizel Street. And was offered the part of Ina Sharples, but turned it down. Oh, I'm glad she did. Oh, there's only one Violet Carson. That is very true. I really enjoyed this one. They've got into their stride as a team. And everything about this just gelled for me. I love the fact that they're working together. Keel's found his feet now as an investigator. He's still got that, that little bit of unsure edge but he's getting more and more daring with what he's prepared to do in order to find out information. I particularly love the scene with the syringe full of witch hazel, which he, in order to extract information from the bad guys, he waves around as if it's full of hydrochloric acid that he's going to squirt in their face. Little bit macabre, but you can see at the end of the scene when he finally gets away with it that he was shitting himself the entire way through. I just thought that was a very, very beautifully done scene and a nice progression of Keel's character. That's just one of the many moments in this episode that I just thought, bob on. I agree that this is a great episode. I've I've always really liked it. I think this is the best of the three full surviving episodes. I enjoy the interplay between Steed and Keel. I think that this far into the run, what it demonstrates is that Keel is actually becoming a fairly competent investigator in his own right. And he goes and forces himself into the gang headquarters to find out the information he's doing things a lot more professionally than you would have seen a few episodes ago. He, with Steed, goes up against a couple of professional heavies and comes out easily on top. This is a Dr. Kill I don't think you could have imagined from the first episode. It's probably a slightly odd Dr. Kill coming in without having seen all of the episodes, And you go from hot snow to brought to book and then an episode or so later you come to this and he's very established as an investigator. So that that might have been a bit dropping into a formula. But put that to one side, it's a really nicely done piece of television. Yeah, I loved it. And it's just such an intricately weaved plot, particularly when it, it all comes together at the end. And they've got whoever it is that they they wheel in, this actress that they wheel in as the supposed mother to unhinge the entire plot. And then they all have a drink at the end. It's like, thank goodness that's over. Everything's resolved. Where's my fee? And it's just all woven together really well. When it first started, the episode, there are flaws in it. And you think, well, where's this bit going? How does this tie in? Who's that again? And then... As they weave in and weave in, 
you sort of see where it's going, but it wrong foots you. At the end, you think there might actually be this happy ending, and then it just all completely unravels in one scene. And that scene is absolutely marvellous. Yeah, it's a little bit slow before then, but I mean, that final scene is superb, and you get the comeuppance of three different strands of plot. I think the only superfluous character in it is when De Willoughby goes back to his, presumably his flat, and he's speaking to somebody who is his roommate, his mate, or, or he's, he's clearly borrowed money off. Yeah. That character is a little bit superfluous, and it's never really explained who he is or what hold he's got. It's all sort of nebulous, that little bit. That was the only bit that I thought was a little bit of a... A little bit flawed, but it can be smoothed over with a coffin of spit. It's a nice little scene. Whereas I think that works quite well. It demonstrates that he's sort of establishment, but slightly the wrong side of establishment. Agreed. Uh, I think that's where you sort of get the, the full weight that this suave, debonair socialite, actually, he might be a bit of a wrong'un. And strangely enough, that's what comes out in the end of the episode. But the journey there, the journey to that final scene, everything pays off for the viewer. Yes, I agree completely. It's a real joy to watch. Again, it's it's one of those episodes that the plot doesn't sound brilliant, but it's very, very well produced and very, very well filmed. And I, I, I really wish more existed. I know, and having listened to the Big Finish versions of what doesn't exist, it really has made me yearn. I mean, I know that this was supposed to be a vehicle for Ian Hendry, but as far as I'm concerned, Steed is the one that is in the driving seat for this. Even in the episodes he's not in, he's still the superior character. Now, whether or not that's as a result of knowing what Steed becomes in future series, I don't know. But as far as I'm concerned, watching these, Steed definitely has the upper hand and is the driving force above Dr. Keel. Again, um, I'm well, looking at this with hindsight. Well, what I was going to say is that actually this episode is the first time we see Steed. Is Think he not about in the it. first reel of Hot Snow? No, he's not, is no. he? No, he's not in Hot Snow. He's not in Girl on Trapeze. This is the first time we see Steed. And you know what? He's quite a dark character. Oh, yes. When De Willoughby and the assassin are taken back to Keel's surgery, he's not above a bit of torture. He's got his, well, the equivalent of the Baker Street Irregulars who are there running about doing stuff. He's obviously tied into the, the underground. He took the razor and was prepared to to use it fairly nastily. This isn't the smiley Edwardian gentleman of a later series. Of the two leads, this is a really quite a dark character. Which really appeals to me. The Steed... I don't particularly care for the womanising elements of Steed in this season. I don't think they fit particularly well with certainly what the character evolved into. But that darker side... Which really, in the episodes I've seen later on, it is sort of bubbling under. He is the smiling assassin. There's that element steed where I'm the perfect gentleman, but if you piss me off, I will end you. And I do like that side to him. 
I mean, the, the the one thing I must say is there's a beautiful aside at the end of Act One where Steed makes a quip about giving the police surgeon a night off, which I thought was a lovely little line. Yeah, and a nice little tie back to the show that this is an inspiration from, but not a direct spin-off from. Well, look, it's good of you to join in, but I'd just like to go and clean up if you don't mind. Just a minute, if you've got a telephone, it's like it's an ambulance. Oh, that's his lookout. No, this is mine. Doctor, Yeah. we take him to your surgery. What for? It's quieter there. Yeah, well, I'd like to keep it that way. That's precisely my point. He's a private patient. That's why I brought you along. Give the police surgeon a night off. Follow me. No, look, I'd, I'd rather not have the police coming in. I know that sounds stupid, but I've got private reasons. Besides, I feel fine. I... Moving on a pace, we've got the audio version. Yeah. What's this little article of bijouterie? It's uh, a signet ring. Oh, for all four fingers at once. Yes, that's good. What were you going to do with this little blade then? Huh? Shave. Uh-huh. Look now, Buster. I'm going. And if you know what's good for you, you won't try and stop me. <coughs> Look. It was all a mistake, see? That other geezer, the one that beat you, he was lacing into this guy. I just went to help, that's all. Yes, yes, I see. Well, that was very thoughtful of you. What are you going to do? Oh, <gasps> Just give you a shave. And again, really fall short compared to the video version. Um, you again, you're a little bit harsh. I think uh, it was a good adaptation, a good faithful adaptation, and I did enjoy it. The problem is that if you've got a visual version of something, nine times out of ten, it doesn't matter what it is, it's going to be the visual version that wins. Uh, yeah, but I did. Which I, means I watched, that Big Finish shouldn't have done it in the first place. It this. is an argument, and it's a good one. I can see where you're coming from. You've got the the conflict though between the completists and the purists. You know, is it truly lost? No. But if you don't put it into the series, is it going to be a complete series? No. So it's uh, personally speaking, I think Big Finish did make the right decision by making this and adapting this, so that they've got the complete first series of the Avengers. I think it would have been a glaring omission, or well, at least three glaring omissions from that run that they of the volumes that they released. Is it as well, good as the TV version? debatable but i don't think i certainly don't think it's a bad version i i don't think it's debatable i don't think it's as good as the tv version on any level is it a bad version no it's not is there a point in doing it when the proper canonical original version exists no i don't think there is because i don't think the big finished version adds anything at all is there any value in it? Not really, other than the fact that Big Finish fans will buy anything that has Big Finish on the on the cover. A bit unfair. I personally, I'm glad they did it because I'm now the proud owner of a complete set of season one. Yeah, that that's lovely. But do you actually think that it has any improvement on the TV version? No, but the same could be said of the audio versions of something like Miss Marple or Poirot or something like that. Are they better than the TV versions? Probably not. Are they worth listening to? Certainly, yes. 
But that's a false equivalence because with Miss Marple or Poirot, what you're looking at is two different adaptations of the same source material. What you're looking at with the Avengers is an original and an adaptation of the source. But again, the same could be leveled at the Doctor Who's where they've animated existing episodes. Are they as good? Have they added anything? Probably yeah, uh, not. But but the argument would come if you had... Okay, so you, you have the animations of the missing episodes of The Invasion. Fine. The argument would come is would there be any value in animating the Crotons? Um, from a, a sort of a completist point of view, if they've started animating stuff that already exists to help fill gaps that don't exist, personally speaking, I, I don't think there's any value animating the Crotons. Yeah, in Having which case, what said, is the value in doing an audio version of something that exists? But it's what's a, the value? It is exactly the same argument. No, what's the value of doing animated versions of episodes two and six of faceless ones when they exist? Does six exist? Well, no, and neither does two, but never mind. Whichever um, one, one and three. It, it, it's, it's one and three. That is a completism within a story, and I have no problem with the audio reconstruction of Hot Snow because that is an incomplete story in the way that The Faces Ones is an incomplete story. The direct comparison would be, would you animate the Tomb of the Cybermen? Because that is a complete story in the same way as The Frighteners or The Girl on Trapeze is a complete story. Would you do a substandard reconstruction of something that already exists? Um, well, Web of Fear 3. Um... <laughs> yeah, but Web of Fear 3 is not something that for all it may exist, is uh, generally available to people. And second, it's unwatchable. The animation is fucking awful. So that that's a yeah. false equivalence on two levels. We're not going to agree on this. I, I do like the fact that Big Finish have given us a complete season. I think it would have been they would have been glaring emissions. It's a no-win scenario. If they'd not done it, it they would have been criticised for leaving three gaps they have Two done games. it. I know Tunnel of Fear wasn't about at the time. but Yeah, Tunnel of Fear didn't exist at the point where they animated it. So. But then you've got the argument about Hot Snow, but I've, I've never had a problem with them recreating the rest of Hot Snow. It's really Girl on Trapeze and The Frighteners that I've had a problem with. And the problem I have is the problem I have with all of the post-Blink Weeping Angel episodes. It's the problem I have with all of the sequel films the matrix a shit copy makes the original worse oh that's very harsh no it's not once you've seen the original if you then have somebody coming in and does a crap copy of it you can't then unsee that crap copy so it makes the original worse and you know what big finish don't want criticism don't put yourself forward as a professional production company because anything professional will attract criticism. Well, I did enjoy it. I, honestly, I, I, there's not been a single Big Finish audio that I've, I've really not enjoyed that, to be fair, can be leveled at Big Finish because all the ones that I've, I've sort of thought were a bit... 
they've been the script adaptations. I did enjoy this one. Is it as good as the TV version? No, because frankly, from a personal point of view, nothing's going to beat Patrick McNee. He is just unbeatable as Steed. In which case, don't try. But they already have. The, the rest of the, the, you know, the 22 and a third episodes that they've already done. I've got it. And I've got it. I like their new Steed. Yeah. It's taken oh. me a little while to get into and, and get my head around, but he plays it very well. Up until the point you're comparing him directly with, with the original. And for all you can say, oh, full series, blah, 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 blah. Where the original and the fan version exist, you can't help but compare the two. It's true, but as uh, to my mind, it's no different to the Joan Hickson and June Whitfield Miss Marples. Joan Hickson is always going to win. The June Whitfield Miss Marple, it doesn't need to be there. There's no reason for them to have adapted it for audio. They did. They're beautiful. But she's still not Joan Hickson. And it's still not that beautiful Mary Mead that they conjure up on television. Um, well, I mean, as we said at the time that we did Murder at the Vicarage, June Whitfield does a more faithful portrayal to the books than Joan Hickson does. Don't get me wrong. The Joan Hickson adaptations look absolutely gorgeous. But the character changes through the books and doesn't with the Joan Hickson uh, portrayals, but it does with the June Whitfield. Yes, which I need to dive a little bit deeper into. I think the final thing that I'll say about the audio version of this is there is a scene with Dr. Keel and Dr. Treading on the phone. Now, in the TV version, Dr. Treading is not heard. They missed a trick by dropping in another appearance of Dr. Treading on the phone in the audio version. I just wish they'd have taken that. Just to have him as a more present character, because after the second episode, he just disappears altogether. He's referenced, but he never appears. That would be my only thing, but I can, again, it wasn't in the script. He wasn't given any lines. I can forgive them for that. I just think it would have been a nice touch. Yeah, and actually, I, I can see where you're coming from on that. I don't really agree, because I think he's an incidental character, and I think he's an incidental, char incidental character that wasn't necessary but i can see why if you're going to be ocd and vanish then that's something you'd want to get on board with which i am i think we've reached a point where we need to rate this in masterminds we'll start with the tv version what are you going to give this uh four. Oh, right um, it, it's very, very good, but it's not without its flaws. And for all I'm trying not to compare to what's going to come later, there is much better to come later. Agreed. And uh, I'm trying to come to this with a sort of a, an overarching view. But I know very well that if I don't rate them per series in that context then there aren't going to be many outstanding episodes. Everything's going to end up being a four. I know that there are, because we've seen a couple of the fives. Within the context of series one, up to now, this is a five. I really loved it. 
Uh, I think a lot of that's got to do with the fact that it exists on video, even though I didn't feel that entirely that way about Girl on the Trapeze. But everything about this just held together so well. So I'm going to give the video version a five. Then we move on to the audio version, which I will steam in and give a four. There's nothing wrong with it, but an audio version of something that exists on video, whatever it is, I'm afraid the audio version is always going to be a notch under, and I'm really sorry because I bloody love audio. I think what Big Finish have done with it is superb. It's just, it's not going to beat Patrick McNee for me, unfortunately, but it's not a slight on Big Finish. Okay, I'm going to give this a four because I think it is... Well produced, well done. If the video didn't exist, a four is very definitely what I would be giving it. So that's what I'm going to give it now. And on that note, boys and girls, I'm going to sign us off. We will be back next time to discuss episode 16, The Yellow Needle. Until then, thank you very much for staying the course with us. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Bye now. They'll be back. You can depend on it. Kinky Boots featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss, with thanks to Studio Canal, Big Finish Productions, and Alan Hayes. Title music was performed by Honor Blackman and Patrick McNee, and the program was produced by Maverick Productions. Come and get those kinky boots, boots, kinky boots. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.